welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. We are your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. You know, I've had a lot of calls from clients and listeners curious about foreign investment in U.S. real estate. And just why is that important? Well, one reason might be the supply and demand dynamics. Remember the the laws of supply and demand. If changes in uh, the tax rules in the U.S. and the volatility in some of these countries around the world create the U.S. as a safe haven and we have more influx of foreign investors, it really could impact values in the U.S. And we're always trying to figure out, hey, where is the cycle going? Where are values going? So today we're going to talk to some experts in the field, get an idea of how foreign investment may impact U.S. real estate. My first guest is Walter Page. He is with CoStar joining us on the phone. Walter, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Well, we appreciate it, uh, Walter. And I know you guys have done some extensive studies with foreign investment in the U.S. So what has been the trend for foreign investment uh, over the last several years? Uh, The trend of foreign investment has been, uh, I would say, remarkable. Uh, Since 2010, the share of foreign investment of the uh, investments in real estate have more than doubled. Wow. Uh, so we're currently at 11%, and so that we've had a doubling in that market share of uh, foreign investment since 2010. Uh, since 2009, total sales volumes of foreign investment have grown on average 60% per year, which is double the 30% pace that we've seen for the broader market. So, you know, it, we've had huge capital flows to real estate, but especially from uh, the foreign side of the ledger. Uh, and it's really been across the board. It's, it's not just in office like it used to always be. It's, it's really across the board. Uh, so clearly foreign capital is, is tr- tracking to the United States. Okay, so they like retail, they like industrial, they like it all? Uh, yes, they like it all. <laughs> uh, in particular, over the past year, uh, industrial has just uh, ballooned. Uh, but normally, industrial is between one and three billion dollars of sales, but in 2015, it was 18 billion. Wow. Now, this was driven by a couple large transactions. Uh, we had a sovereign wealth wealth fund purchase. Uh, uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund of Singapore purchased an $8.1 billion portfolio from Blackstone. Uh, so this had assets, industrial assets in Southern California, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, Northern New Jersey, uh, but it had you know other places too, and they were paying a 6% cap rate. Wow. The Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, uh, in conjunction with a Canadian investor, purchased a $3.1 billion uh, portfolio from X. Property Group, uh, based in Philadelphia, uh, and then we also had a large Canadian pension plan purchase a three hundred and fifty million dollar ownership in an industrial portfolio. In essence, we've had some huge transactions that might be skewing this number, but clearly we've seen a big uptick in the industrial segment. Yeah, and I guess that's a a good sign for industrial real estate. And I guess a lot of people uh, believe industrial is a great place to invest. So. You mentioned some countries there. Uh, what do you see for the flow of money? Which countries are leading the pack? So it's a trifecta. I, I look at it as um, Canada, our number one trading partner, represented 
28% of the capital flow uh, in 2014-2015. Western Europe represented 23%. uh, China and Hong Kong, 14%. And then it starts to whittle down after that. Uh, What is also interesting to us is that the the Middle East uh, volume of money appears to be slowing, although it's anecdotal right now, and I think that's a direct relationship to the energy uh, market. Okay, and these buyers, uh, which what time frame is this that you're covering? 2014 and 2015. Okay, and what do you expect moving forward with the changes around the world? Who's going to lead the pack moving forward, do you think? Uh, so our view is that the markets that are being impacted by commodity price declines, especially in energy, are the ones that are not going to be contributing significantly uh, going forward. So that would be the Middle East in particular. Um, but uh, Canada actually could be one of those markets that could uh, be s- slowed principally because of the oil sands and things like that. So that's the place where we see less capital coming from. We we also expect to see more capital coming from places that people are concerned about safety in their home country. Uh, and, and that can be anywhere from, you know, Latin America and uh, other markets across the world. Right. And is that one of the reasons that uh, they're flocking to U.S. as kind of the safety that we provide here as opposed to their own country? Yes. So the last two days I was in South Florida and I was talking to a local broker there, and he, he says that is like one of the key primary reasons why people invest in the United States is the safety, the perceived safety of our uh, real estate markets. And even though that they've seen increase, the, the value of the dollar has gone up, uh, the perceived safety of the U.S. economy and the real estate markets trumps that. Uh, in terms of investor perspective. Right. We're in talking with Walter Page with CoStar about foreign investment in uh, in the U.S. And, Walter, which cities are they going to? Where do they want to p- uh, put their money down? Well, we used to always think that uh, foreign investors only like the uh, – they didn't take connecting flights, so they only like the gateway cities of New York, Washington, San Francisco. The reality is they're focused to about 18 markets across the country. The top market for investment is is still New York, uh, $13.2 billion uh, over of investment over the past year. That's out of the $69 billion that was done in 2015. Uh, but other markets that they like, Washington, D.C. was $5.6 billion. Los Angeles was $3 billion. Uh, Dallas, $2.6 San Francisco 2.5, 2.6 out of South Florida, and 2.2 out of uh, Atlanta. Hmm, that's good to hear. And if you're not driving your car, uh, go to our show uh, website, and you'll see some slides uh, that uh, really put this in perspective. And, of course, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you're seeing them. So, so Walter, as I opened the show, I was talking about you know this increased demand from foreign investment could impact uh, real estate values. What do you see there? Uh, well, I think that they clearly are. Um, so while foreign investors, first thing, foreign investors are heavily focused to what we call core real estate. And they're also willing to pay the top dollar. And, and what we've seen is that if we look at the cap rates 
of the foreign investments compared to the market as a whole, uh, they generally have lower average cap rates for those foreign investment deals than the market as a whole. And this, this holds true across the uh, uh, entire spectrum and in particular holds true for New York uh, office cap rates, where we would see uh, investors of late, you know, if the market cap rate there is close to 5%, they're willing to pay closer to 45 or 4% uh, in New York. So clearly they're willing to pay a premium. Right. And could that be a material uh, impact? Could that have a, ma- a material impact on cap rates? I think, you know, a lot of our listeners are concerned that rising interest rates, if they do rise, I guess we hope they do, could impact uh, cap rates but in, in commercial real estate values. But if you have all this demand and you have uh, the, the property fundamentals improving, uh, is that going to have a, a, an impact? Well, okay, so clearly if, if, if 11% of the real estate sales are to foreign investors. And by the way, that is direct real estate sales. If you count in the fund investment, it could be close closer to 20%. Hmm. The foreign investors really have a crowding out effect on the rest of the investment world and in essence lower the expected returns that everyone else has. And so this is part of the reason why we've seen tremendous values uh, across the board. Now, going forward, our view is that this flow of capital will continue to be pretty strong uh, and that even though we expect to see a marginal increase in interest rates, the Fed is probably not going to be too aggressive on that. And the the net result is we're probably going to have fairly stable cap rates going forward with only a slight increase. Right. Okay. Well, Walter Page from CoStar, thanks for joining us, sir. Thank you. If you like more information, visit CoStart.com, and we'll have more for you right after this break. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, commercial real estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit ccim.com slash CRE show. That's ccim.com slash CRE show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about foreign investment in U.S. real estate and the impact for all of us here in the U.S. And you know, one of the things that's impacting foreign investment and should impact it moving forward is FERPTA, the changes there in the tax rules, the Foreign Investment and Real Property Tax Act. We're going to hear some more about that and what some of these issues could mean for commercial real estate in Atlanta. Please welcome my guest. I have David Levitt. He's a partner with the real estate group of PwC and Byron Carlock, national real estate practice leader with PwC. They're here in Studio One with us in Atlanta. Come come all the way down to visit us from New York. Thank you for being here, gentlemen. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And first of all, tell us a little bit about the, well, explain this FERPTA tax act and the the changes there and uh, so that our audience can understand what it what is all about sure michael I, I think the starting point is what is ferpta and it's the foreign investment and real property tax act it came about in the early 1980s as a reaction to some concerns of non-us real estate investors buying u.s farmland 
So what the U.S. Congress did is that they passed this legislation that essentially said that if you buy U.S. real estate and you're a non-U.S. person, you're going to be taxed as if you're a U.S. person on that real estate. So when you dispose of that, you're going to be taxed at the same marginal tax rates that would otherwise apply if you were a U.S. person owning real estate. So over the years, this has become a major hindrance in many ways to non-U.S. investment in real estate. And one of the primary ways that people could otherwise address this was through the use of real estate investment trusts. So over time, people used REITs in certain respects and the ownership of REITs and minority ownership interest in REITs to otherwise dispose of assets that would not be subject to FERPTA. So there was a limited set of strategies that could kind of get you out of it. So the basic example is if you owned a building in New York, if you were to go to sell that and you were just a non-U.S. investor, say in Europe or Japan or anywhere else, and you were a corporation, when you sold that building, you'd be taxed at 35% on the gain from it. You'd have to file the U.S. tax return. So over time and through lobbying and different kind of efforts, there was a push to create certain exemptions to FERPTA for particular types of non-U.S. investors. So as you alluded to in December of last year, probably the most significant change to FERPTA since its passage occurred. And just the major change itself was an exemption from FERPTA taxation for certain types of qualified foreign pension funds. So these are certain foreign pension funds that meet about five criteria. And if they own U.S. real estate, they're no longer subject to FERPTA. And there's a couple of things in sort of technical tax nuances that I know the two of you probably don't want to hear in great detail mm -hmm. about that. But the real key is that we think, and I think Byron can speak about this as well, that it's going to open up a lot more avenues for additional capital flow into the United States. Yeah, and I want to hear about that and your thoughts there. And, but uh, now these investors can own more of these REITs, right? Yeah, I think the key, the key structure that's going to be utilized here is the Real Estate Investment Trust. Because one of those technical kind of tax nuances that we touched upon a little bit is even if you're not subject to FERPTA, if you just own a building and you're a non-U.S. person, unless you're really doing nothing with respect to that building, and we're at the spectrum of a triple net lease property, you have no involvement in the management of that building or anything else, if you're doing anything beyond that, if you're involved in the management or anything else, you're still going to be subject to the U.S. tax regime. Although you might be exempt from FERPTA under this exemption, you may still be subject to a variety of U.S. taxes. And the U.S. government, as all we all know, has a way of taxing people in, in many different ways, and they come up with many different things. So the way that you kind of address that is you use a real estate investment trust. And if you're the type of entity and you, have, you meet the certain ownership requirements for that, you can hold a REIT and in turn hold a property. And, and those are privately structured transactions they are. done as REITs. They are. So, you know, we, we often hear about, you hear about publicly traded REITs, you hear about non-listed REITs, but as some in your audience may know, there also is what we'd call private REITs, which are, they're not non-listed REITs, um, they're not public REITs, so essentially they could be held by institutions or other people, so uh, in that sense. So if you have one of these REITs, under this new exemption, if you have a qualified foreign pension fund, if they otherwise own an asset through a REIT, and either the REIT sells the asset or that qualified foreign pension fund sells the interest in the REIT, regardless of how much they own in that REIT, they're not going to be subject to U.S. tax. And that's a significant change from the regime today when generally if you're using these REIT structures, if the REIT sold the fee, the property itself, there would be U.S. tax under FERPTA on the distribution of those sales proceeds from the REIT to the foreign investor. Or the alternative there was that you had to sell the REIT, the REIT stock and you had to only sell a minority interest below 50% of the REIT stock. So, so these changes, 
Um, who wanted these changes done? I mean, there's been people in the U.S. That, that wanted this to happen, right? So the real estate industry wanted this to happen because we saw, and this, this discussion has been going on for several years, but we saw this flight of capital to, quote, safe haven markets of the world, and frankly, the U.S. was at a disadvantage. And so the real estate roundtable, AFIRE, NAREIT, several of the real estate trade organizations collaborated to make sure that we were going to be a market that was more on even footing with other, quote, safe haven markets of the world. If you look at how much money had flown into London, as an example, as a favorite yeah. safe haven, London was getting more investment from foreign capital than we were in the U.S., especially in Manhattan. And this levels the playing field because the, the tax regime is now more on a favorable footing compared to other investment domiciles. In addition to the private REITs that David was talking about, in public REITs, these same qualified investors can now invest from 5% up to 10% in public REIT stock also. And so that allows, once again, more capital to flow in. So when you think about the wealth that's being created in the emerging markets and the desire to move money into markets that are perceived as safety markets, uh, the same people that are buying our bonds, um, want hard assets. And so this legislation allows us to be more competitive. Right. And it's been uh, a long time coming, right? The, these groups have been trying to get this done for, for a couple of years at least, right? I think, yeah, they have. I mean, mm -hmm. there's been, I think the first time that it was mentioned was in President Obama's uh, budget proposal about two and a half years ago, Yeah. the mention of this. But in general, there have been groups that have been lobbying for this for maybe 10 or 15 years. And on a general sense, though, over the last, since the early 1980s, basically since when FERPTA was passed, there have been many different industry groups who have actually lobbied for a full repeal of FERPTA. I don't know if we're, you know, I, I think that we're less bullish on a full repeal actually occurring, but this is a, a great step in the right it's direction. It's a move toward making us more competitive. Yeah. In yeah. addition, it's also at a time when we need foreign investment dollars to support some infrastructure investment, yeah. which is also favorably treated under this same, um, this same change to the tax provisions. And so if you think about our aging infrastructure and our necessary newly needed infrastructure, this will be um, uh, this will accommodate that flow of investment money into those opportunities. Okay, and one of your other partners, Mitch Rochelle, likes to kid me about this when I say it this way, but so we all be doing the Snoopy dance now, right? So. <laughs> I don't know, Mitch, I, I, I'm trying to envision yeah. that. But, uh. So this, it's interesting that, that it's too early since the legislation passed in December to see what flows have actually increased this yeah. first quarter. Our expectation is they are up. Um, but yeah. but it's not documented yet. So we're we're hoping to see. I think 2016 will be a very positive year for yeah. inflows. What's interesting about the laws it stands now, Michael, and, and one thing to clarify is that you they did this major change. And whenever you do tax laws and everything else, obviously tax professionals spend a lot of time thinking about it, and that's what people do in the tax profession and thinking about the nuances and everything else. But the law itself, right now, um, there's some clarity that's necessary, and we expect that to come across this year, hopefully. There was some additional clarity that came across from the Joint Committee of Taxation last week related to the kind of scope of entities that fit within this exemption. But as Byron said, we haven't really seen that moment kind of play out. Okay, well stay with us. We'll have more on U.S. investment from foreign investors. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions. Call 800-408-2855 or visit bullrealty.com. We're back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking about foreign investment in U.S. real estate. And yes, it's very important because it could very well impact commercial real estate values in the U.S. with the increased demand from foreign investors looking for safe places to invest. Of course, we have our guest here from PwC, David Levitt and Byron Carlock. Uh, here, which has been on, you've been on the show before. Thanks Thank for, for coming back. Glad to be here. And so, what are the entities that are really impacted uh, by these changes in FERP to David? Is because it's not everyone. It's not every entity, yeah. right? Yeah, it's not every. So, not every non-U.S. investor is going to fall within this exception. It's actually somewhat of a limited class. But primarily, when you think about it, these qualified foreign pension funds can fall in a broader categories of sovereign wealth funds potentially, or corporate or state pension funds. So kind of the classic example of a sovereign wealth fund, some of these sovereign wealth funds are formed as they essentially are funded by state dollars, tax or otherwise, or by an annual levy on the population of a particular country. Um, or their natural resources. Or their natural resources. Take your pick, wherever they can get the money. And a lot of these, as I think we've seen in the real estate market, have been particularly active historically and have a ton of capital. So one of the questions is some of these sovereign wealth funds are also organized as kind of social welfare. So essentially they're the European model or some some people in Asia basically or some countries in Asia where they say you know we're going to collect money and help our citizens out but we're also going to invest money to be able to make that those type of entities have the potential to qualify for this and that way as Byron and we were talking about before that would be a sea change because these guys are already here in droves so now what we're going to see is that either their exit possibilities may change meaning that maybe they had to sell interest in a REIT prior to this maybe now they can sell the fee to a property so they're not selling the entity or they may buy more of their own venture right they might they may own more of their you know their own venture i think the other category is kind of the classic um, corporate pension fund so it's essentially formed by an employer for their employees um, or it's formed in a particular country for a category of employees or attorneys or doctors. You see some of that in Germany or Japan. So they're kind of occupationally focused type funds, um, pension funds. I think you may see those type of funds fall within this exemption as well. So it, it, it's still, as we're seeing, you know, anecdotally we may see, we're seeing kind of increased capital flow, but a lot of this is still sorting out a little bit as people figure out whether they fall within the exemption and then what they're going to do with that. Okay. And if you were at a a summit in uh, in Europe or in Germany or somewhere uh, of, of foreign investors looking at U.S. real estate. What would you tell them about these changes in FERPTA? So I think it makes it more attractive. I was just at MIPAM in Cannes, France two weeks ago, which is the Global Property Conference. And it was a hot topic because so many of the uh, pension funds, the Dutch pension funds, the German pension funds, as well as the sovereign wealth funds, which as David said, are investing the treasuries uh, of their country. Um, they're all looking for ways to move money to locations that they find attractive for long-term returns. And so they're looking at, number one, do they qualify under FERPTA, which is generally foreign pension funds, and also uh, what is available for them to buy. And so one of the things that's interesting right now that was a big topic at MIPAM was uh, the countries with negative interest rates. And so parking capital in a country with negative interest rates compared to finding a property that you can see, touch, and feel 
even if it feels a little pricey by our historical standards here, mm -hmm. is still attractive. So the spreads right now between alternative investments and real estate are quite attractive. And I think that's going to be also driving volume of capital coming our way uh, for investable real estate. I will say that not all PwC partners get to go to con. I mean, I only go for the movie <laughs> premieres, but I'm not as, you know, I'm just a simple tax partner. So Even Mitch I'm didn't just, get to yeah. go. Mitch didn't go, but we did debut our new uh, Global Emerging Trends magazine that we do yes. in partnership with the, the Urban Land Institute. And so that's, that's spurred a lot of this conversation. Yeah. That's great. So what would you tell U.S. sellers of commercial real estate related to FERPTA and dealing with foreign investors? Any tips for, for us? Well, it's a seller's market. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, if you've got something to sell and you, you desire to sell it, I think there are buyers, especially in the, the, what we call the sexy six markets. I mean, they are still getting most of the investment flow. And so that would be on the East Coast, Boston, New York, D.C., Miami, and then on the West Coast, LA and San Francisco. We are also seeing increased investor interest in some of the, you know, what we call the 18-hour cities, the interior cities, but the foreign investors seem to be enthralled with the sexy six. I think at some point, though, they're gonna reach a critical mass yes. in those particular gateway cities or whatever you wanna call them, where they're also realizing cap rates and are not gonna make sense economically. Right. So at some point, they're gonna to have to look to places like Denver and you know other cities like that where we've seen that kind of increase as well. And we so. recommend that diversification for the investors. I think right. there's is, there is a lot of reason to go to cities like that. Right. Um, and they're showing more and more institutional credibility. Well, that's a good point, and uh, you know we're here in Atlanta, and I think the, you know Atlanta is a great market for for all investors and foreign investors. I was in Miami speaking yesterday, and one of the guys said, "You know, the great thing about Miami is it's really close to the U.S." <laughs> 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 all right, well, stay tuned. We'll have more on foreign investment in U.S. real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you are listening to The Commercial Real Estate Show. Or maybe you're watching us on YouTube or on one of the radio stations around the country, or maybe you're on iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher. I don't know where you're getting us, but thanks for being with us today. We're talking about foreign investment and U.S. real estate. We have David Levette and Brian Byron Carlock. You know, I've said your name a million times, and I get on air, and it's like, is it Brian or is it Byron? And then you just made me French, so I knew that was coming at some point. I appreciate yeah, that. Now you're, yeah, now I'm now you're French. Back. Yes. You're back. There you go. So, so, gentlemen, what should sponsors of U.S. real estate, so a developer, uh, someone buying commercial real estate, think about foreign capital and consider related to foreign capital and maybe FERPTA? Well, that's a that's a great question because you hear about all this capital and go, how do I get it for my project, right? right? Show me the money. Yeah, there's not a 1-800 foreign capital <laughs> number you call. But well, we have it. We don't need to get it. That's right. That's right. Michael's but got it. No, there, there, there are really two ways. I mean, yeah. So, you know, if you have cultivated a relationship with a foreign capital source, they might come into your market and might invest directly into your project. That, hap that does happen. Many foreign capital sources are looking to come in in two ways. One is through funds 
that they are investing in the fund for a specific purpose, a specific market, or a specific product type. Or they may be doing direct investment, which means they've opened an office in the U.S., they have an acquisitions team, they've decided what markets they want to be in, and they're actively looking for properties themselves. And so those are the, those are the two ways. And so I've, um, as, a, as a service provider to the real estate industry, we spend a lot of our time not only structuring these transactions to whatever their appetite is, whether it's direct or into a fund, and then introducing them to opportunities and ideas as well, because so many of our clients are active with foreign investors. I think the, that's exactly right, Byron. I think the one thing to keep in mind is you have the commingled funds, you have what we call a separate managed account, where you also have an institutional investor maybe coming to a sponsor and saying, Let's, I'm going to give you a mandate of X millions of dollars, go find me properties that fit this strategy or this category. But from the SFERPTA perspective, one of the things that you'll see, and I think you mentioned it, is the prevalence of REITs. So real estate investment trusts, from a structural perspective, as we talked about, are probably one of the most critical components of now structuring to take full advantage of this exemption. So when you see, or when you're talking about going to get foreign money, I think what you'll see kind of at the inception of the conversation from a structural perspective is one, are they coming into a pooled commingled fund that invests through a REIT or a series of REITs? Or two, are they doing this separate account where they have their own REIT and they're essentially managing it and making these types of investments? So there's kind of the broader sort of the structural, as right. the structural aspects of it. So the one thing you'll hear, and you'll probably hear from these guys, is are you going to use a REIT? Because that's, that's what works for them. Right, okay. And let's talk about it from a property sector uh, point of view. Uh, you know, if it, if it might, in, this increased demand might impact values, what type of sectors, what property types are, are foreign investors seemingly most interested so in? So the hottest over the last four years have been industrial, office, and hotel. Okay. So, for example, a, you know, a Chinese buyer bought the Waldorf Astoria in uh, New York. Uh, that was a big, big hotel purchase. But in addition, there have been major trades in the industrial space, in large industrial joint ventures with foreign capital. And there have uh, been other uh, deals announced even in retail and other product categories. But the, the, I think the first litmus test is product quality and location. Right, right. And you guys are crunching the numbers on this. What might the impact be from the foreign investors moving forward? Well, so AFIRE, which is the Association of Foreign Investors in Real Estate, did a survey and 76% of the foreign investor respondents said that they would be increasing their allocation to U.S. real estate as a result of this change. The estimate is 20 to $30 billion of, of additional investment uh, over the next couple of years. That's pretty significant. Yeah, no, those are real dollars. There. Yeah, you know, all <laughs> of a sudden you, you got you got a lot of <laughs> you got real money, right? That's right. And so, so they're coming into office. They're coming industrial. They're coming from hotel, and uh, and and where are they coming from? Where do you see the, these funds? What countries? So the oil dependent com countries have been the largest and most active, mm -hmm. uh, and then we see growing uh, activity among the Asian sovereign wealth funds and the Asian institutions moving money west. Uh, there are uh, some $6.1 trillion worth of sovereign wealth funds out there right now. And if you look at a 5% allocation to real estate, many of which don't have 5% yet, they may have it allocated but not invested, uh, that's you know $300 billion worth of equity which could be levered 50, 60% and guess what, you've got you know, 600, 700 
billion dollars worth of uh, buying capacity just from the sovereigns. Now, not all of that would come to the U.S., but that puts in context just how large that community is seeking to invest in hard assets and infrastructure. And you have the potential for new kind of institutional investors like these corporate types of pension funds abroad to also come into the U.S. as well. So, so you have, yeah, the pension know. funds are another five trillion. Right. Yeah. On, to on top of the sovereign wealth, you've got another five trillion in pension funds right. that wow. would have a five to ten percent allocation trillion. to real estate. Trillion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's bigger than billions. So for everybody in the audience, yeah, so everybody in the audience, that's a lot of capital. I mean, that's state. more money. Yeah, uh, yeah well, is that what you're saying? More there? money. I'm sorry, I don't speak that language. I'm sorry, Michael. I don't, yeah. Okay, it's more money. All right, and and I want to get your guys' opinion on. The we don't do opinions. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't ask a tax guy for an opinion. But all right, keep going. Mitch said you guys would give us great opinions. Oh yeah. Um, I want to ask you guys your opinion on what this type of money, this is real money here, what this could do to commercial real estate values, because I think some of our listeners are concerned moving forward that this uh, cycle's been a little long in the tooth and that rising interest rates could impact values, people are trying to figure out exit cap rates, uh, but if you have potentially a lot more money, a lot more money coming into to U.S. real estate, I want to get your opinion after the break on sure. how that made impact values moving forward. Indeed. So stay with us. We'll have that for you next. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Commercial Search. To market or source commercial properties for sale or lease all over the country, visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull. We're speaking with David Levette and Byron Carlock from PwC. We're talking about foreign investment into U.S. real estate. And gentlemen, the numbers we just talked about, maybe a potential $1 trillion extra money coming into the U.S. What could all this mean to commercial real estate values in the U.S.? Well, I think they'll go up, but I think a lot of that money may also go into infrastructure. And so if you think about the infrastructure needs of our nation, and the idea that we've historically financed them with municipal bonds, but now you're seeing more and more cities turn to public-private partnerships. We believe that a lot of that money will come into infrastructure-related activity. So one tip for developers is to follow the infrastructure. You know, look for the next big dig like we've seen in Boston. Look for the next Clyde Warren Park like we've seen in Dallas. Look for the next bridge across a river like we've seen in Dallas where, where uh, a family gave the money to build the bridge to open up a new neighborhood on the other side. Those kind of important investments like Atlantic Station in, in, in Atlanta, uh, you think about how um, bridging uh, infrastructure needs of a particular site to make it accessible to developers only increases the amount of investable real estate available to sell to institutions. Right. So one of the things we're going to see in this cycle is more development. Right. And then the supply, supply and demand, the law of supply and demand impacts the value of everything. So you know, one might think that this increased demand is going to keep uh, values uh, stable or will, might it even compress cap rates some on some of these gateway market core assets. I think we're seeing, based on our, we, we follow that quarterly with our real estate quarterly survey, and cap rates are continuing to compress in the gateway markets. Continuing to? Yes. yes. <laughs> so how low can they go? How low can they go? <laughs> I mean, some of them are pretty low, but, but some of these foreign investors, it's not low to them, right? Well, it, yeah, especially if they're coming from a country where they're having to pay their bank to keep their money. That's right. Right? 
<laughs> Negative right. interest rates is a new phenomenon. Yeah. Right. So so they're getting a positive return, albeit maybe it's at 2 or 3%. But it's still positive, right? Yeah. They're still cutting a bond. So. And it could be lower. And it's also a tangible asset for them, right? It's it's not going to go away. They can touch it and feel it. And, and they own it in a safe country. Right. And now they've got favorable tax situation. Indeed. So, so what do you tell an investor who's buying a property like that? Say they're they're buying a core asset in, in New York City, and they're paying a 2.5 cap rate, and you're looking at cap rates five years from now, and you're trying to figure out, well, what if we want to move this asset in, in five years? I guess we expect and hope interest rates will rise. Um, We've got a lot of foreign demand and, and, and demand from everyone for U.S. real estate. What do you tell them about the crystal ball five years from now on cap rates and values with all this kind of working together? I think that there's going to be continued demand for hard assets. I think the thing to watch is the spread investing. What is the cap rate at which you're buying versus the borrowing costs? or your personal cost of capital and make sure you're enjoying a positive spread and then holding it for the long term. And I think that's that's the best advice we can offer investors today is that long term hold with a positive with a positive spread. And frankly the spreads right now are, are pretty attractive because debt is cheap. Uh, even though cap rates are low, that spread compared to uh, your cost of funds is is a nice positive spread. And your quick answer to um domestic investors who are having trouble competing with these foreign investors for these assets? Uh, you know, sit tight. There are always downturns and disintermediations, but um, if, you're, if you're trying to buy an institutional quality asset in most any product category right now, the price is high compared to what we're used to seeing domestic investors want to pay. Right. Yeah, well, good point. And, and maybe it's time to develop. It's a good time to develop. Good to find develop. That's a good point. And then maybe look at cities uh, and property types that they're not going after, right? right. Uh, maybe some of the smaller assets, maybe the some of the secondary markets. Well, gentlemen, great information. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for Thank having you. us. And Thank if you'd you. like to know more, visit pwc.com. And if you'd like to more, know more about real estate, join us next week. We're going to talk about design and construction. So until next week, be sure that you lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, Commercial Real Estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit ccim.com slash CRE show. Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.